0: We are again at internet hello mike and andy world uh, headquarters of vox in brea california it is um uh it is a beautiful day as it as it often is in brea california we um we are in the uh, andy's wearing a tank top so it's kind of the end of summer uh and it's very distracting so i'm gonna try it i mean if i'm a little scattered that's what's going on um, want to thank you so much as always for listening and for uh, reviewing and um, rating and liking and sharing and heckling and heckling. There some, there's some some heckling that goes on and pushing back. Um, yeah, we don't call it pushing back. We we call it <laughs> we call it uh, mild disagreement, passionate engagement. Um, and uh, so anyway, we've got two uh, podcasts going on. One is this one. Um, and the other, and this is more of a cultural sort of engagement ish kind of thing. And then, um, we put our teachings and stories up from our little weekend gatherings and that's the Vox community podcast. So check that out. But today, Andy bear, we've got, um, we've got an extension of last week, which was an extension of several conversations before. So, um, I've got a, I've got a few, I referenced a book. Last week, I think uh, it was called "Misreading Scripture um, with Western Eyes." That wasn't the
1: book. That you, was... refer- you referenced a different book.
0: Shut it. Maybe, maybe that was the book I meant to reference. Hmm. But uh, a book—I yeah, don't know—it was published three or four years ago, and it, it kind of gets at some of the points we were wanting to make last week in terms of okay, so how how do you understand? Uh, how do you read the New Testament? You know, and, and and again, I mean, not everyone's going to agree with what the New Testament says or what the New Testament teaches, but let's let's make sure we're disagreeing over what it actually says mm. uh, and what it says in its in its context versus uh, some of the distortions that uh, that are out there uh, that that I've you know obviously been a part of and and uh, helped create and am working to undo. Uh, because anytime you come to a text that's that varied and that old, uh, there is a pretty, pretty significant gap that exists. And that gap really exists uh, along, let's see, I've come up with uh, four or five. It, 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 it exists along these lines. So time is obvious. I mean, there's the 2,000 year time uh, difference, uh, culture. Um, what, what, uh, what was, um, what were the cultural priorities of that day uh, and the cultural conversations, language, obviously the, the new Testament's written in Greek, but there's, uh, it seems like there's a Hebrew substratum or Aramaic substratum to some of the Greek. Yeah, substratum. Um, yep. Big word. Uh, you've got the customs and behaviors of the day. You've got the geography of, of that day. You've got the value systems, of that day. So you've got time, culture, language, customs, behaviors, geography and value systems. And so so what happens and we believe that that the the scriptures are inspired and so that anyone can open a bible and benefit, right? The the central message is is clear, but there we also think that you can spend because it's so deep, you can spend your whole life uh, plumbing the depths of of the New Testament never reaching kind of the bottom. Um, And so, so we, we think both of these are true, but, but one of the things that as you, as you kind of walk along uh, with the scriptures for a while, is you realize there's a whole bunch that you miss when you pull Jesus um, and the New Testament writers out of their first century context. Mm -hmm. And, and because we're separated by time and culture and custom and behavior and geography and, um, you know, values. And, uh, and so, so So what I want to do is I want to to spend a little time fleshing out um, how significant that distance is and and try to give examples of how we import um, American culture, American Mm -hmm. customs, American uh, values into the text. And, uh, and, and how that can be a dangerous sort of thing. So, so some of these examples I took from the book, um, uh, misreading scripture with Western eyes. Some of these are just examples that, you know, come out of my head. And so, you know, take them for what it's worth. But the big, the big point is to stir, uh, in us a bit, a bit more of a desire to not just read the Bible, but to study it. And, um, and so, cause what we've got is this devotional kind of reading where if it just, if we just open it, it magically sort of is supposed to speak to us and we don't have a lot of study of it. And, uh, and I don't mean Bible study when you're sitting in a, in a room saying, okay, what's this verse mean to me? I I mean, the actual like digging through um, um, some of its nuance and some of its detail. So I want to go over each of these gaps and kind of give examples of either something that was true of the scriptures that in that world that we don't appreciate, or I want to give an example of just how much the distance matters. All right. So it'll be one of those two sort of points. All right. Okay. So the first one and most obvious one is time. And so suppose Andy, it's uh 2000 years from now. Okay. We have uh, we are colonizing and uh, the solar system. We're terraforming planets. Uh, we're mining, um, other planets and its moons for natural resources, the earth, you know, we've hit a, we've hit a crushing population. Uh, we've got a huge mess on our hand. Um, and so we've had to colonize um, other places. Cars are obviously relics of a bygone era. Um, we, we now, we mm-hmm. now just get sucked into vacuum tubes and they take us places. I mean, who knows? I mean, oh, like, let's the, say, like
1: in the bank, like in the eighties where you could put a bank tube. Like, yes. Yeah. We're going to do that with nice. people.
0: And, uh, so, so too, I mean, I I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine 200 years from now, let alone 2000 years from now. I mean, you just, what is that like? So suppose some archeologist is digging around in uh, Brea, California, and they find uh, a piece of something called paper that was perfectly preserved. And it was the, a printout. They don't even know this. They, they don't even, they don't even use paper anymore. They speak by thought to hmm. each other so hmm. so you find a paper a piece of something called paper and and it was preserved because it was um let's say it was put in a plastic folder what's plastic they don't have any idea what plastic is but it's an email that um that uh that someone named m Erie sent to another person named j Erie. all right yeah. via something called g mail with a dot and a com next to it and suppose, you know, the title was um, uh, Summer Love. And suppose it was, you know, Dear um, dear Jay. Um, uh, Pearl Jam 10 came out 25 years ago. Um, let's go even flow because we're still alive. And <laughs> um, then let's go watch the last season of The Black Mamba for the... Uh, the um, the gold and purple, and then and then we'll flip on um some Netflix and watch uh and watch Strange Stranger Things, um and we'll binge, and you know love ya doll. Um, by mike right or whatever i mean just obviously making this up but but suppose it was encoded with all sorts of cultural references Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and and you're you're 2000 years later you're like what what's a black mamba so so google now runs the world and so you just speak to google and you don't even have to think you You just think you think black mamba and it comes back as a snake uh and you and you go pj what's pj and and 10 What's ten? And and even I mean you have no I mean I, you can't you can't just pick the email up like you could you could understand the English words, but there's a lot that you would miss. <laughs> you, yeah, because if you
1: typed in ten, you would get you know a million right. references you, get, of what uh, it well, it's represents. Well, it's a number.
0: It's a number. It's um, it's a Roman numeral. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a way of expressing how attractive someone is. Hmm. It's yeah. a movie score. Uh-huh. Um, it's uh, the number of fingers, mm-hmm. um, including your thumbs that you have. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So, so I mean, this is so dumb. But you get the you get the kind of idea that that, that there is a cultural encoding that would go on. So, so you would have to understand email. What email was. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would have to understand the conventions of email, right? That yeah. that you don't speak always in full sentences without punctuation, without caps. I mean, you can t- take shortcuts. It's not a
1: scientific journal that's been right. corroborated. It's not
0: about historical accuracy as much as it is just expressing relationship. In this case, now obviously, if you're if you read an email that's a you know, a well who
1: it well who it's to would be important it, if it's between who, two
0: very look like. Look at you go. Look at yeah. you go. Milking the metaphor, and yep. is. Um, and and so so when we talk about we're two thousand years removed that we have utterly no frame of reference for how different that world was versus all the best we can do is just like take our world and go backwards and and even as we do that we're bringing with us the same value systems the same cultural priorities we just can't help it so so when we say Hey, you, you, yes, you can pick up the Bible and read it and benefit from it. Well, of course. But there's a whole bunch you would miss, even though you know the English words, because the words evolve over time, right? Take the word gay. Mm-hmm. That's changed over time. Um, uh, take the word fat, mm-hmm. right? That used to be, well, I don't know if it's evolved. P-H-A-T. Uh, P-H, yes. Right. Or bad Remember, we used to call things bad when they yeah. were good, like Michael Jackson. Yeah, words bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, so, so words <laughs> change over time. Um, you've got you've got massive cultural distance uh, in terms of who the audience is, what the occasion is, of the writing, what the writing form is, and its its conventions and expectations, and then encoded the encoded cultural references that are there that you might not even recognize. Uh, that someone in the original audience, my wife, would would know. I don't have to explain any of the references because they're all just culturally assumed. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a bunch of that in the Bible that is just assumed by the first century mm-hmm. that we have no idea is being assumed. So when we get a gap like that, we just naturally fiddle it, fill it in with our unspoken cultural assumptions. Mm. All right, so yep. we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a second. So time uh, is obvious. Language. Now this is... You know, one of the examples in the book I thought was really funny, they said, so think about, think about um, that is a good dog can mean uh, in in like America, uh, that dog doesn't bite or, um, or, or in Australia, it can mean um, uh, uh, that, that dog herds sheep well, or, or in some, uh, some remote parts of the world, uh, the dog tastes good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just just reading, the dog is good. That dog is good. It doesn't, you know. Again, knowing the English words, there, there's there language. There's language nuance there. Um, and 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 one of the you know one of the things that scholars talk about is something called linguistic determinism. <laughs> a, a great deal of the way you see the world comes to you through the language you inherit. So if you inherit German, you'll see the world in a German kind of way. If you inherit English, you'll see the world in an English kind of way. Because mm. vocabularies, um, are things that are important in a vocabulary are given lots of words. So in, a, in a, whatever, in, in what is it, Inuit in Alaska, mm. uh, there are lots of different words for snow. Because there are different kinds of snow. We mm. just have one word snow. In Greek, mm. there are four words for love. Um here I use the same word love to describe my love of football, my love of wife, my love of God, my love of whatever, right? There's no nuance there. So so we have words. Think about all the words that are now common because we live in a digital age that weren't common 20 years ago. Streaming, right? Um, um internet. But <laughs> that was a never sure. it was World Wide Web initially, you know? Right. Um uh uh uh, what else would we say? Uh, Netflix binge. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, oh, we have we have a massive amount of vocabulary to describe now life in a computer, digital, social media kind of age. Yeah. I post something, mobile. Um, right. I, you know, I like. I, yeah, how many likes do you have? I mean, we, that would have made no sense. Mm. So, um, so just think think of it that way. So, so when you go when you're going into ancient languages. So, so Hebrew, let's say, is a very, is, it's, it's word poor. There are not as many words because words carry multiple meanings. They share roots. They double as numbers. Letters often double as numbers. And so, so, so you just have a whole bunch of distance there between English. And that's why there's so many different Bible translations because... You can take Greek words and translate them a bunch of different ways. You could you could go after what they literally say or what they mean. Um, you could go after trying to make them contemporary sounding or trying to keep them as literal and wooden as possible. I mean, there are all sorts of approaches to this, and languages are such a tricky thing. Like, Paul, what's the matter, Andy? What's going on right now? You just adjusted my microphone? Your B's, P's, and everything else was getting a little that's yes, my bad now all right my bees and my peas um so so when we get to like um uh when we get to verses like when paul says the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience it's it's fruit singular um of the spirit and so what he's trying to do is he's describing one thing the spirit does that's kind of a love joy peace patience kindness faithfulness gentleness self-control kind of thing it's not a list. It's way
1: of describing it's, the singular, it's the singular
0: thing that God is doing, right? It's not. It's not because some people say which which kind of uh, fruit of the spirit is you know your strongest and where's the one you've got to mm. grow. Well, no, no, no. They're not. They're not different. They're all. It's. It's. He's describing a love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control kind of thing. The way you describe one fruit, like an apple, is sweet, crunchy,
1: can be savory if it's cooked. It could be. Right, because it's sure. it's a singular fruit of mul- sure. multiple characters. Sure, okay. Versus an orchard. Yes, like multiple like fruits. coffee. Hmm. Yes,
0: um, well done. Or coffee or, is a fruit. or or you take um, you take like in English you you read the Beatitudes in the Book of Matthew and it's like blessed are the peacemakers mm-hmm. for they shall what is it inherit the earth uh, or they let's see what is it blessed are the peacemakers for they will. No, the meek inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, make- for theirs is the kingdom. Let's say it's that one. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, uh, in an English, we t- because we're not familiar with the language, we turn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the those who mourn, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who show mercy. We turn these into steps. Mm-hmm. We turn them into, okay, well because uh, I've read I've actually read commentaries where because the language is misunderstood well you start by, by being poor in spirit and then and then as you become poor in spirit you you mourn over over your sin and as you mourn over your sin you become very merciful and and, and it's it's this kind of thing you're supposed to do to be blessed when in actuality, um the the word blessed there uh, isn't it's isn't it's not a word we can capture well in Eng, English it, mm. some some translations have happy. that's not the word either. uh happy are the peacemakers it's it's more like content satisfied finding their niche in the world kind of thing it, it's the it's the harmony you feel when you're in your sweet spot like and, and so so what Jesus is actually saying is, uh, when you're a peacemaker, you're in your sweet spot. Hmm. You're in a sweet spot in the kingdom. When you're a, when you're in poor in spirit, um, you're in a sweet spot in the kingdom. Hmm. Uh, it, and it completely flips around our understanding of what he was getting at. Instead of a prescription, it's actually a description of people he's looking at in his audience. So, hey, the world says to you, poor in spirit is disqualifying. And I'm telling you, poor in spirit is a great thing in my kingdom. You know, mourning. Um, um, that uh, the world tells you, you know, that's something to get rid of and to get over. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm telling you that 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 demonstrates something that's valued in my kingdom. There, there's a sweet spot for you uh, in, in my kingdom. Peace, you know, blah blah blah. Do you see the difference? One's yeah. descriptive, one's prescriptive, and knowing the the language kind of makes a, a huge difference in how you understand uh, the text. I mean, so so one of the examples they give in the book. As one of the guys was uh, a missionary to Indonesia, and in Indonesia they don't have a word for privacy, and uh, because sometimes language will tell you what what a culture values, language will tell will will give you insight into the cultural priorities of of a of a of another you know culture, and um, so they don't have a word for privacy. Um, because um, th- they don't value it. They don't it. value privacy. He, he, so what the, this particular author tells oh. a story about how two, two friends had adjacent, they owned adjacent three-mile stretches of beach, okay? Now, what Americans would do is build their houses as far away from their neighbor as possible, because we value space, we value privacy. These guys built their houses so that they could literally touch the other person's house out their window, next to each other with 3 miles of beach stretching in either direction mm. and when asked why it was because to them privacy means lonely mm. they did not want to be lonely so 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 language embedded in language are cultural priorities that we would miss like like I I'd, I'd never think of like you're right i have one of the unwritten american assumptions is the right to privacy and so I have this massive. You know, we want to keep our, our lives online private. We want to keep our addresses. I mean, it used they used to in phone books. They would publish your address and your phone number. And now, you know, now we know or your medical information. That's all protected data breaches or things we worry about. Like there is this massive right to privacy. We have we live in the biggest houses in the world. Um, and so a house of of five people over three thousand square feet. You know, you each have your own room. You've got we're just massive fans of space and privacy. Whereas uh, the language, whatever the Indonesia language is, doesn't even reflect that cultural value. It doesn't even have a word mm-hmm. uh, uh, for that. Not only that, but in the New Testament, you've got symbolic language, you've got hyperbolic language, um, you've got uh, rabbinic idiom, you've got uh, customs, you have, I mean, you have so many different examples of language that you can translate the word straight from Greek into English, but you miss something. So for instance, all right, so here's a, here's a for instance that takes us into number three, right? So, so, so time was number one, the cultural gap. Number two is language. Number three is, is, is a different kind of cultural, cultural awareness. And um, so for instance, Two of the most important words in the um, in, in the biblical vocabulary are grace, which is charis, and faith, which is pistis, P- pistis, <laughs> and uh, and 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 so those words are beautiful words, but when they when they go together. When they're used close by, they refer to a certain kind of relationship that existed in the first century that doesn't exist in, in the same way um, hmm. two thousand years later. So this is an example where language. So so. You will actually have you will actually learn something not only by learning the words, but by the cultural freight that's carried by the words. Is this all making sense by the way? Is this too rambly? No, you're going.
1: I' go- I mean I you- mean, you're going. I, I'm following, but I, I I don't know, I'm being a bit studious by just kind of taking it in and processing it as you're talking about it. Yes. so I mean yeah, yes. it, yeah, you're making sense.
0: okay. Yeah, well, sure. that's look, look, first of all, that's a huge victory. Don't yeah. don't minimize the fact that sense is being made here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just trying. By to, someone. I'm trying to. Yeah, seriously. I'm just <laughs> trying to illustrate. You know, back several episodes ago, you just take a, a New Testament verse and say, "Well, Paul, you know, look at Paul. He doesn't advocate removing slavery. Look at Paul. He hates women. Or look at, and you're like, no, no there's stuff going there. Mm-hmm. There's stuff happening that um that we don't have eyes to see right and when someone says
1: oh you're just taking that out of context
0: this is what it means to look at something in context context. right exactly so you're acknowledging the time difference and that time difference gives you a humility in approaching the text so that if you don't know the language um, you're, you're reading people who do, and you're, you're spending time on things that would, you know, feel boring to other people, but you're like, okay, so here's the, here's this word and here's the, the form it takes and here's the mood it's in. And here's the, you know, I mean, and all that stuff ends up mattering. So, so, um, as an example, so they spend some time in this book I, and I think it's really, I'd never, I'd never known this. One of the, one of the most basic units of society in the first century uh, was, was something called the patron-client relationship, okay? Now, I knew lots about this. You see it in the Gospels all over the place, but the patron-client relationship was this relationship. Patrons were usually wealthy, uh, higher-status people who would do favors for lower-status people, um, and and the, the, they would be mutually beneficial favors, and, and then if someone did a favor for you, and that could be giving you money, that could be refinancing a loan, that could be um, getting a fairer price on goods you want to trade in the city, mm-hmm. uh, that could be you know, legal problems, you would go to a patron and your patron then would negotiate on your behalf with someone on the opposite side of equal status um, to help arrange for you some sort of favor. What you would then do as a client is that you would show gratitude. You would be public with your praise. You would be... Um, you would be willing to drop everything to go help your patron if your patron ever needed anything. And you would never do it as a social peer, but you would do it as your patron needs an errand run. Your patron needs this taken care of. And so what, what patrons would do is they would assemble for themselves a very wide array of clients. So I've got clients in um, let's say this trade and this craft and this, uh, this company over here and this, that, you know, this industry over here. And, mm-hmm. and, and I would, so I'd be giving them favors. It's like the godfather, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to do this for you, but mm-hmm. someday I'm going to ask you for a favor.
1: Yeah. Or, or someone like this day and age would be like, Oh, I got a guy, you know, someone's got a guy in some yes. industry and be yes. like, Oh, well he, he kind of yes. does some things for me and I really give him
0: business. So we have a right. bit of a relationship. Exactly. But okay. But see, the difference is, in our day and age, that's between equals. Hmm. In their day and age, it was from social superiors to social inferiors. Right, okay. Okay, so there, there's that gap that existed back then. There you go. So, so I mean, the, the Roman world was this huge bureaucracy. The banking system was totally complex and involved temples. Uh, the trade guilds made it impossible for ordinary people to kind of negotiate uh, fairly not be taken advantage of, and so so what you would do is you would go to a patron, and the patron's role was to solve the client's problems, so um, smooth over local trade disputes, uh, provide protection, you know, money, and then what the client would do is they were expected to reciprocate with loyalty, praise, readiness to help the patron, and to show gratitude to the patron. Right, and 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 this is the idea that gifts in the ancient world all came with strings attached. Um, if 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 someone was just offering to give you a gift, there was a there was a societal uh, expectation and pressure to respond in culturally appropriate ways. It's one of the reasons why, with some communities, Paul, uh, a missionary in the first century, will write the community and say, "Hey, I didn't, I wasn't a burden to any of you. I didn't accept gifts from any of you. Mm. I I fed myself and I worked with my own hands," mm. because he realized accepting gifts would put would put um, him in A their debt. A to owe, yeah. Yes, and, and so he would refuse to do that because gifts came with strings attached. Now, here's what's so cool. When patrons would give favors, uh, they were called graces or charis. And when uh, the clients would receive favors or graces, they were expected to show faith, pistis or faithfulness to the patron to publicly praise the patron to be ready to help hmm. the patron to show gratitude to the patron right right yeah. so when paul okay. is looking and paul uses so many different pictures of of what life with jesus is like in one in one instance he's talking about adoption and he's using with the idea of roman adoption and how powerful that uh, adoption was in the first century uh, to show what it is to be adopted into, into God's family. And in another instance, he's using, um, he's using legal language, justification language. He uses reconciliation language. He uses the, the language of slavery and marketplace to talk about redemption. Well, in this instance, when, he's, when, when grace and faith appear together, um, he's talking about the patron-client relationship and the expectations. So Paul's saying this, God is your is your patron. The gifts He gives you are innumerable, right? Life in your uh, life uh, today, breath in your lungs, blood in your veins, the ability to talk and think and speak and work and da 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 da, and and therefore you are His client. What's expected of a client? Public praise, ready to do the patron's will, uh, gratitude, right? Service, humility. I mean, the whole the whole relationship can be summarized in that kind of way. So here's an example where, yes, we've got cultural time that separates us. We have language, but language, man, you've got all kinds of different languages, but even languages sometime, language will sometime point out cultural value. So we use the example of privacy. Indonesians don't value what we do. So we have, we have words for privacy, they don't. Here's an example where English, grace, and, uh and faith are words that you know we kind of import certain meanings to faith just means jumping into the jumping into the absurd right or or uh, believing something I can't see or whatever when in actuality some of the ways that Paul used faith was the idea of fidelity faithfulness it gratitude that I, I my allegiance is with my patron right because mm-hmm. they've done me great favor. So I mean it's just it it reframes that entire understanding faith isn't opposed to science, faith isn't opposed to, to doubt. I mean, it's this it's this different thing, right? If faith is a covenant word, it's not a contract word hmm. to go back to earlier podcasts. So so stuff like that is just sort of sitting and waiting uh for us to wake up and realize. Yeah. Um it, you know, go what
1: were you it gonna just, say? It, just a, a a micro note. So when when that was established between patriot and client, was that non-contractual it was it was covenant it was more expected even if some of the rules were broken it, it's not like then well you are no well, longer no, my no, client no, no. No, it, no. does that was that a thing
0: no it these were unwritten rules okay so but they but they carried the strength mm-hmm. uh they carried strength stronger than contract strength okay um and so so yes they could be legal agreements for sure but it was stronger than that Right like I don't I wouldn't call them covenants in the biblical sense but 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 see faith for us has always been an intellectual thing what i believe mm-hmm. faith for them was the pledge of fidelity that played itself out in how you lived Yeah <laughs> so yep. regardless yep. of what you thought Yes so so for my wife i can lo- i can feel love towards her today or i can feel angry towards her today. Um, but, but that's irrelevant next to what faith is, which is me acting in a, in a fidelity like manner, uh, in a faithful like Mm -hmm. manner. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's what that is. That's getting at. So, so back then it'd be like, you know, and these are dumb cultural expectations, right? Somebody, um, somebody sends you a Christmas card and there's this, there's this thing that makes you want to send them a Christmas card back. Right. Right. Somebody, you realize somebody went out and bought you at Christmas, like this beautiful gift and you've not gotten them a present. Well, you feel like you gotta, you gotta do something. Mm -hmm. Right. Or, or, um, you know, somebody invites you to dinner. There's this, you know, and again, I mean, some of these ebb and flow, but there's a little bit of this left over in American yeah, culture where sure. we feel like we have to reciprocate. Yeah. Um, well, this was, man, this was like hardened concrete cultural expectation. And if, and if you don't know that, then you miss some of the nuance of like when, the, when, when Jews approach Jesus on behalf of the Roman centurion, they say, this guy is our patron. Mm-hmm. We are his clients. You would be doing us a great favor if you went and blessed our patron. So so the centurion's household gathered clients who were Jewish to approach Jesus, who was Jewish, to make a culturally acceptable ask. Mm. Make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, they're, they're, it, it, again, it's nuance. Yeah, for sure. It, it's, I, I, it's not necessarily you're missing the main point. Or, or, or you get to customs, right? I mean, oh my goodness, dinner. We talk a lot about the fact that a meal was never a meal in the first century. Um, that, that if you were dining with a Pharisee, there were customs that went with that. That Jesus ran afoul of the Sabbath. There were customs that went with that. That Jesus ran afoul of. You even take the issue of modesty. So Paul talks a lot about modesty, in the um, in the uh, in the New Testament. And and the issue we when we hear modesty, we make it a sexual thing. So it's how it's how you dress mm-hmm. your body, to either reveal or not reveal your sexual parts. For Paul, it was economic modesty, which was don't flaunt your wealth in front of uh, poor people. So to be modest is to drive a Honda when you could drive a Ferrari. That's what Paul means by modesty. We think what modesty means is Andy, you should not wear a tank top because I can hardly focus. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's what we think. So, So again, just an example of how customs aren't the same, even if the words are the same. Right. right. So how people ate, um, uh, what their houses were like, um, how people greeted each other on the road, greet each other with a holy kiss. Right. That's something that was customary in that day that we don't normally do unless you're dating somebody. Um, <laughs> so so you have you have you have this the the custom distance as well as geography um, or we'll get to geography as well as time and language and culture and uh, whatever the other one I said. All right. Makes sense so far. Yep. keep going. All right. Keep going. So geography last, uh, I think close to the last one. So, so geography is super important because the Bible is always interested in, in to telling you where things are happening mm-hmm. and, and often it will tell you the name. So in the old Testament, if you're ever reading the old Testament, it will give you and the name of this place was x or or Jacob named the place such and such and they'll give you the name and expect that you know that the name means means something that references what just happened at that place um there so there there's all kinds of cultural encoding mm-hmm. when when Samson marries a Philistine well that there's something there when when Goliath came um uh was son of from gath um when um when Jesus goes to Samaria uh I mean they're just massive mm-hmm. when when it talks about the Jesus went across the lake mm-hmm. uh, to a non-jewish region called the Decapolis I mean ma- I mean massive massive issues that are being revealed here in just the name of the
1: place right I remember reading about um some kind of contradiction that talked about Jesus leaving Jerusalem or the disciples leaving Jerusalem, but talking about them entering Jerusalem almost in the same context. But I guess it was that Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I read this somewhere when I was trying to study this was that then Jerusalem was divided in such a way that you could be leaving a part of Jerusalem to then enter into a different part of Jerusalem. But it was like misread to where it's like, well, if you didn't know that Jerusalem was being established in like, two places then hmm. it would seem like that's a contradiction so how could they be leaving jerusalem but then going to enter jerusalem at the same time okay so it was kind of, i mean that to me seems Look like that you. that geological bring in, understanding bringing new right? stuff right? Sorry, to sorry geographical table. understanding right so anyhow that that seems that Th- that's exactly i mean yeah
0: it, and even you know you go today and it's there are different quarters in the city i mean it just mm-hmm. it all matters yeah right so if you're a child of the 80s if i said east germany Right, that mattered versus West Germany, mm-hmm. or if I said the Soviet Union. I mean, they, they, we have those things too. So if I if I say Fresno to to SoCal people or Sacramento, you know, there's this thing. So so and even and even like take America, even you'll have different kind of cultural values represented in different places. Sure. Right. So so if if somebody in Southern California sent me a picture of them um standing over a bear that they'd killed up in the mountains right that Whoa. would be totally offensive as opposed to somebody let's say in west virginia Well, uh, you know well, the internet
1: nowadays yeah that would, well, right, well, that, but, 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 but like in some yeah. places hunting is or alaska totally,
0: yeah hunting is totally what you do other places it's frowned upon yeah um uh smoking I remember for years we would go we because we lived out here we'd go back to Ohio where I I grew up and you'd have smoking and non-smoking sections in a restaurant yeah. you know out here of somebody lit up in the middle of a restaurant, you know, everybody would just be like, what the heck?
1: Yeah.
0: Um drinking, you know, uh, in the south it carried a different kind of taboo than it did mm-hmm. other places. So 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 you have you have not only the significance of the places but sometimes the places would have different values. Right. So the the northern part of Israel around the Galilee felt that the southern part of Israel around Jerusalem uh was corrupt, snobbish, wealthy, collaborative um, you know, they totally sold out. The southern part viewed the northern part as just a bunch of hicks. Um, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so you you have bits and pieces of this playing out. Now, uh, now, the big one, though, the big one. So you've got the first five. The big one, and this is the one that's hardest to get at, and this is the one where we want to spend a little more time, is um, we want to talk about the value system. So, yes, there's a time difference, uh, 2,000 years. Yes, there's a language difference. Yes, there's a, col- a cultural sort of practice, custom behavior, geography. I mean, all of those differences. But I, I'm trying to call this a value system or a worldview difference. Hmm. So, so it's not the worldview sits behind how you see the world. And it's what, it's what a culture assumes by never having to say anything about it. So, so for instance, the privacy. We don't ever have to, we don't ever have to uh, argue over our right to privacy. It's just something that we value and we hold on to and we treasure that's just assumed, right? So nobody, nobody... Um, we never have to have a conversation that goes like, "Hey, I don't think privacy is really important," because we just all, <laughs> we just all believe privacy is important, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, let, let's see how they say. It. Uh, cultural values are those things. Excuse me, value systems are those things that go without being said, and that make it make us uh, that make us assume that some interpretations of of an event or a word are impossible while others are self-evident all right so most of us are not aware of our value systems because they're inherited they're taught but to us before we even know they're given to us in our language they're shown to us in our heroes and our symbols they're embodied in our parents in the way that our parents raise us all right and and they're 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 the invisible fabric that glues a pluralistic society together. Okay, mm-hmm. so they're super, super important, but they're often not noticed and not talked about. And when they are, it seems so insane that you would call them into question because we cannot imagine a different set of cultural priorities. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so for instance, for instance, um, you you've got like like there are two or three big ones I want to talk about. One is um, that we are a society that very much values the individual. And the, in the ancient Near East, in biblical times, uh, society very much valued the group. Okay, so, so scholars call this an individualistic society versus a collectivistic society. Um, and, and here's kind of the idea. The individual is the most important unit in Western culture. Right? We have the Bill of Rights, free speech and right to do this and right to do that. Uh, and, and a person's identity comes from distinguishing themselves from other people. So your name is Andy, different from your brothers and sisters. Laura, different from other families, uh, who loves to play music, to surf. I mean, like social media profiles enable us to just be expressive in all of our individual differences and our differences and our individuality comes from not being conformed. Conformity is a bad thing in American culture, whereas in other cultures, conformity is the highest value. Hmm. Right? So we now, and there's a whole bunch that follows from the fact that we worship the individual. So let's just establish the difference. Um, when, when we in an individual culture, we encourage people to make up their own minds. Um, in a collectivist culture, people are encouraged to seek the wisdom of the group. Um, in, a, uh, in, a, um, in an individual culture, um, the, the highest goal is being true to oneself. All right? I mean, that is the Disney gospel. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Be true to yourself. Your heart will never lead you wrong. Follow your dreams. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. That is utter nonsense to collectivist societies. Who, um, who expect that you will, as an individual, um, adhere to the cultural expectations of the group. That be yourself is actually a bad thing. That's a rebellious thing. Hmm. Uh, conformity is the greatest good, whereas for us, no, no, individual self-expression is the greatest good. Um, collectivist cultures, the most important unit is the family. Or the tribe, or the country. It's but it's the group. It's the collection, mm-hmm. and it's not the individual. So pursuing and persevering the harmony of the community is everyone's primary goal. It's not doing your own thing, um, and, and it's and 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 harmony. Um, and conformity are much more valued over self-expression and self-fulfillment. Oh, see, this is this is such. It's hard to even describe this without making a moral judgment about how sucky it is. Yeah. Right. And and, and they would have the same moral judgment against us that this is ridiculous. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you think about dating. Like in ancient cultures, they would never let a man and a woman be alone together that weren't married. Why? Because they'd have sex. That's what mm-hmm. they did, yeah, right. So, so you'd never let them alone. So, so they would look at our dating and the idea that it's just your individual willpower that's keeping you um, saying no. I mean, is is absolute rubbish. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you yeah. absolutely doing? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just fascinating. So, so a person's identity in a collectivist culture comes not um, from self-expression but faithfully filling one's place in the community. You're defined by the community and the community makes the decisions for you. that give you wisdom. So um, like eloping in our world is totally acceptable, but eloping in, in Eastern worlds, in some Eastern cultures, and certainly in ancient Near East would have been the height of rebellion. Because you, as a single person, a young single person most likely, are the last person who's going to know who's going to be a good match for you. Mm-hmm. The wisdom of the, of, of the tribe was always better than the wisdom of some young, hormone-filled person. Even the way um, you would name people so, or use your name. So, so people, people only use my last name if they don't know me. right? Everyone use, uses my first name, Mike. They don't use Michael, which is my given name, or Carl, which is my middle name, unless you're really angry and you're my wife. And then, oh, <laughs> and my mother, then, oh, I'm mother <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but I know I go by Mike. Uh, back in the day, like in Roman society, you would go by your family name. You would not go by your individual name. So like Julius Caesar, we know him as Caesar. Cicero was known as Cicero. That, these were all the family names. Uh, these were not their first names in, in, in our way of kind of speaking. Um, and so you have in collectivist cultures... A high premium on the harmony of the group. Uh, a high premium that, you, that what gives you identity is your place in the group. It's not some individual thing. So, so you take, for instance, how people look at the church. All right, The church, we see it in America as a voluntary association of individuals. There's Mm -hmm. nothing that binds us together other than our preference. Well, I like this church. I like that church. I like this style of music. I like that style of music. And as long as I like it, I'll go. And when I don't, either I'll stop or I'll find somewhere else, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's how we view it. For Paul, the church was a body. The church was a house. The church was a family, right? All group metaphors. The idea that it's me and Jesus is completely foreign, That you would just read the Bible by yourself, completely foreign. That you have little prayer times, you know, completely foreign. That we have our little quiet times, completely foreign. Now, there were times you'd have fasting, but those were group fasts. When Jesus, when it says that Jesus would go off on his own to pray with his disciples, that's a perfect Eastern way. Alone never means alone. Alone just means not in public. Mm. So Jesus would go... And he would be alone together with his disciples. Right. That's how it works. Sounds like a contradiction. Right. Privacy. There is no privacy. What's a right to privacy? Um, you would never have privacy. Why? Because it's the group that is that is determining um, the expectations of you and how you fulfill those and whether or not, you know, blah, 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 blah. So it's completely. So when we read the Bible as individuals, it is death. It is absolute death. So you, you have things like... Um, when it, when it says, um, put on the whole armor of God, okay, um, in Ephesians 6, and Paul's talking about spiritual warfare, and if you're new to the Bible, you know, just play along. Um, and, and so you go into a Christian bookstore, and here are individual pieces of armor. And, 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 and the idea is, well, oh, so we're all supposed to each put on individual armor. Uh, but no, Paul was writing to a church. So church put on the individual pieces of armor. Um, when if he, In Ephesians earlier, when it says, Paul says, don't get drunk, but be filled with the spirit. He's not talking to people. He's talking about the church. Hey, church, don't get drunk, church, but be filled with the spirit. Now, of course, the church is made up of individuals, but that's not the biggest unit. The biggest unit is the sum of those individuals, which is its own thing, namely a church. Mm-hmm. So church, I mean, it's, it's when, when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is working within you. Well, that's together. I mean, it, the whole, the whole, the whole Christian life was never me and Jesus ever, ever.
1: So if I'm under uh, let's shake the tree a little bit. So oh, then like, what? Well, so we're now going to the, start? the, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So this seems to be coming real hard against my personal
0: relationship with Jesus. Yeah. There is no such thing. <laughs> Here we go. Of course, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as inviting Jesus into my heart. That's the dumbest ass thing I've ever heard in my life. And I've said <laughs> it and I've believed it and I've done it. But what is that? That see, that is such a Western individualistic way presenting salvation. Mm. You know, so, so you'll have like somebody and their whole household was saved. Well, mm-hmm. That's how it was done. Now,
1: so we, but I, I think we could defend that. Let's say a Muslim in, a, in their own individual dream. Jesus yep. comes to them, yep. but the the method seems like Jesus would be calling them to a collective. Correct. You have to then go seek out Christians or go seek out the group in which represents yeah. Jesus.
0: Yeah. Right? Oh, of course he loves us individually. Yeah. And we have relationships with him individually. Right. But see, to us, that's all there is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the only unit that matters, is my walk with Jesus. It doesn't matter what the community says. It doesn't matter what the church says. Now, again, this can be abused in highly authoritative regimes, right? Mm-hmm. So people can abuse this and manipulate people in that whole series we've done on spiritual abuse plays this card very dramatically. But you never see it in the Bible. What you see in the Bible instead is the idea that Christ is the head of the church. The head gives itself up for its body. It leads its body. It, it nourishes its body. It guides its body. And that the body, that's why Paul will say, listen, you're, we're all just members of one body. So how can the toe say to the eye, I don't need you, right? I mean, it, yeah. these are all, none of these, see, see, for us, church is just this thing that we do. Um, For Paul, it was the thing that gives you identity, meaning, purpose, significance in your entire life. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's such a different way of understanding it. And and so it's hard not to talk about collectivist societies and not to judge them. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for collectivist societies to not look at American Mm -hmm. individualism and not judge it.
1: Right. Right. We don't have to go down this road, but it seems like to me too. This is where people get the idea of like, oh, well, Jesus was a socialist, or like that. Oh, well, there, that there's all well, sure. these ideas of socialism built into the gospel Correct. and the early Bible. Yes, and, yeah,
0: yes. The first community shared everything in common. Why? Because mm-hmm. they saw themselves as a freaking community. Yeah, that was their primary identity.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so when I mean, uh, the, so so anyway, we got to move significance, on. Significance, but so, go huge on. Significance. Yeah. Well, one of the outworkings of this. Uh, of individual versus collective is how we determine right and wrong so individual societies concern themselves with individuals being right and wrong guilty or innocent collectivist societies our honor and shame societies which is a far different set of value judgments mm-hmm. all right so let's let's get into this now and we see that in
1: asian culture a lot we see that in japan we see right, that in yep, right in the but, other parts of
0: the east in the ancient near east this was and this explains so much mm-hmm. of the old testament it explains so much of how jesus did his ministry and why he was opposed the way that he was mm-hmm. so so let's get into this so shame Shame is a hard word to get your head around because for us, shame is a bad thing. For them, shame is a good thing. Shame means that you have a conscience. Shame means you know what right and wrong is. Um, To be shameless is to be bad, right? Because you have no shame. So there's there's no way the group can show you wrong if you have no shame because shame and honor are given to you by the group. All right. So, so like uh, one of the synonyms for shame is, um, is, uh, oh, what is it? It's where can I put my face? In other words, my face has now been exposed. My true face has now been exposed. So when you shame somebody, what you're doing is that you're exposing their face to the community. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, So, so, so shame isn't a bad thing. Shaming is, so, so let me uh, let me try let me try another way to get at this because it's confusing. Still, in the U.S., um, the formation of the individual is central, right? So we talk about spiritual formation and my spiritual disciplines, and a, a huge part of formation is cultivating an awareness of right and wrong. So we talk about our conscience. We talk about, you know, the picture where you have an angel on one shoulder and a demon okay. on another shoulder. Uh-huh. Okay. That, that is total individualized guilt or innocence. Okay. Who's at fault? Who are you going to listen to? It's you. It's not the community speaking to you. It's you having a dialogue in yourself. See, what Americans do is we internalize morality. What uh, ancient cultures would do is they would externalize morality. Mm-hmm. So whatever the group defined as morality is what was morality, and whatever whatever my internal sense defines as morality is what morality is, right? So we cultivate a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and and both 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 uh, practices are true, but we can't. There's much that we miss because we're not in an honor shame culture; we're in a guilt and innocence culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we love like judgment metaphors. Like, you know, if you break one law, you're as guilty as breaking the whole thing, right? That's a, that's a, that's a spiritual metaphor that only works in individualized cultures, Mm -hmm. right? That care about guilt and innocence. Okay. For us, for us, maturity is knowing right and wrong and having a, a developed sense of right and wrong, right? So we talk about, um, uh, a conscience. Somebody, somebody has a, a very sensitive conscience, right? We have rules and laws and families and principles that help guide us. But ultimately, I'm making choices between the angel and the demon on my shoulder, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, for the ancients, the reason you avoided doing wrong was because others would watch, were watching and you would bring shame upon the group you were associated with, So like the biggest temptation in the ancient world would be invisibility. Because no one could see you do anything and you could do whatever you wanted to. The assumption was if no one were watching, your baser instincts would take over and you would do whatever. But it was because people were watching, the group was watching, that you would engage in correct behavior. So like when we, when you have the, the Lord of the Rings, the ring that turns you invisible. Yeah. Well, that's actually taken from an ancient story about the temptation, about the one thing that would be most tempting to people would be that they would be invisible and the group couldn't see them and censure them. Hmm. Makes sense? Yeah. In the in the US, you're either good or bad or you're right or wrong. Um, I encourage my kids to listen to God's voice inside of them, You know, to read and study their Bibles. In honor shame culture, honor shame cultures, people are more likely to choose right behavior on the basis of what society expects for them. Now that's not to say they don't have individual conscience. Of course they do, but they're formed by the community. Um, and, and it's not a matter of guilt. It's not an inner voice, but it's the external pressure and the opinions of the community, the censuring of the community, the honoring by the community, and the shaming by the community. If a person commits violence that's approved of by the group, then the person has nothing to feel guilty about. There is no guilty there. You, you, yeah. you, you brought honor to the group in the way the group defined honor. And a hugely critical, and again, this sounds so weird to us, because it sounds like, so you're just inventing it. No, no, it's deeper than that. Yeah, It's not like you're saying what the community says is right or wrong. It's, no, no, the community is right and wrong. Right. Right? But they don't even think about it as right and wrong. They think about it as, are you bringing honor to the community, or are you shaming the community right. by the way that you're behaving right. as a part of the community? You're not an individual. Right.
1: Could we, could we throw this all the way back to... um uh, tribal things yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of war in yes. that type yep, of situation. Yep. Let me go there okay, right now. Great.
0: A critical value in this kind of um, uh, way of seeing the world is, is is saving or preserving face. Have you heard of this? Yeah. So I, how, if I save face, right, I, I want to preserve the the public display of my honor. Yeah. And so um, like, so the authors get into the Thai word for shame, for losing face literally means to tear someone's face off. So they appear ugly before their friends and community. Hmm. So if I'm shaming somebody, I'm, I'm declaring their ugliness to the rest of the community. And that's bringing shame in the bad sense to the group. Um, and, and you, and you see this. Um, so like, like uh, Paul talks about how he shamed Peter, pa- Paul and Peter win a community together, um, some Jews came and Peter withdrew from eating with non-Jews. Right. And Paul says, no, I confronted him to his face. Mm-hmm. Well, why does that matter? Well, because it's an honor challenge. Now he's using shame, he's shaming Peter because his behavior is incongruent with his place as in, in the new community. Mm-hmm. Now where Jew and Gentile isn't supposed to right. matter.
1: So you're saying he did this in public versus pulling them to the side. Correct. And saying, hey, Peter, like, Correct. why'd you do
0: this? It's like, right. So Nathan the prophet does this to David when David commits adultery. David's not walking around feeling guilty. No, the way Nathan the prophet shames him is by telling him a story that, that gets his his passions up, where he makes a public declaration that now indicts himself that Nathan can point to publicly. Mm-hmm. So so it, it's like the authors tell a story in Malaysia. Uh, there were people who wanted to legislate against littering, and they didn't get a lot of traction against Litterers until they would make people wear a T-shirt that said "I am a litterer," <laughs> and then littering dropped. Why? Because it, you were losing face; you were being shamed. And so, um, for us, the battle between right and wrong has always fought on the inside. And um, and even when we tell stories, like like uh, one of one of the movies I used to love was a movie called The Last Samurai. <laughs> Tom Cruise, yeah, Tom, and, and and you would always import American Westernism into these ancient cultures and kind of show how they they were both kind of beautiful in their own way, but the American individualism was kind of the better way. Mm-hmm. And um, Western heroes, yes, and, and 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 so it's so hard to talk about this. If you're confused, I'm confused too. But we'll get to why this matters in, in just a second. Um, Again, shame is a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing in the sense that if you have it, it means you care. It means you have a conscience. It means that you you are you 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 know what right and wrong are. Being shamed, however, is being made ugly in front of a community. It's tearing your face off so that you appear ugly. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the to be
1: the corrector, like to to right, you're saying like to be the person that is going to go and correct the other person. That
0: is shaming as an action yes but it yes. was culturally acceptable right yes if somebody was out of line right now now again oh my goodness this, uh this is so this is so thick uh, here's one last part honor and shame in the ancient world were limited commodities meaning if you honored everybody you honored nobody so if if so public so when jesus is questioned publicly if you wanted information, you would ask somebody privately. So Nicodemus comes and says, hey, I have questions. Yeah, He's he's ask, a- actually seeking information. The disciples would say, hey, we didn't understand this parable. We'd say that privately. They're seeking information. Whenever Jesus is asked something publicly, it's an honor-shame contest is what they were called. Mm. So because Jesus's opponents were seeking to bring shame to Jesus, they would pose questions to him publicly that would seek to expose Jesus to trap Jesus, but they were seeking to shame him. And and whenever it says after one of those encounters that all of the people were amazed at what Jesus said, or nobody had anything to say after that, it meant that Jesus, the verdict was given to Jesus that Jesus won honor at the expense of the Pharisees or at the expense of the religious leaders, because no one can receive honor unless it's being taken from somewhere else so if you're going to honor andy you're that means you're taking honor for me if you're going to shame andy it means i'm getting andy's honor mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. makes
1: sense yeah it's a transition it's it, like it, it's, it, where, it, whereas this was the honorable establishment that has now transitioned to a different honorable establishment and then that
0: yes because there's only so much to go around yes you know okay. no one's right. printing new honor right so if ever you and i are in an honor and shame contest one of us wins and one of us loses yeah and the only way we win is at the expense of the other. Mm-hmm. So all so all the times that Jesus has asked public questions, please understand, they're trying to shame him. They're not trying to get information. They're trying to shame Jesus. And one of the things the gospel writers keep wanting you to know is that Jesus wins these contests every time and that the crowds, one of the reasons why the crowds loved him is because he was shaming the religious authorities. Um, who who you know were somewhat looked up to, but in other contexts were considered corrupt. So so it's a, just a fascinating thing that's always going on when you t- when you are in the Old Testament and God is talking about His name, like defending His name. Um, that's not because God is a glory hog and a narcissist, but it's because in an honor and shame culture, um, uh, God saw His name as an extension of Himself. So names weren't something that you called somebody names were extensions of you. So when, when, when the text says do not carry the Lord's name in vain or do not take the Lord's name in vain, it's actually saying do not bring shame upon God by the way that you live or talk. And so there is this deep teaching in the in the Bible that the people of God actually carry the name of God and they have forsaken their right to be anonymous because their actions their words are either bringing honor to God or taking honor away from God and giving it to something else something else yes so all this all of this absolutely matters moreover and one last example why this matters the difference between a collectivist culture and an individual culture and honor shame culture in a collectivist culture when one part hurts the, all the other parts hurt when one part is sick all the other parts are sick and then here's the big one when one part sins all the other parts are in danger of being corrupted so so when i when i look at pornography i the temptation is to think okay this doesn't hurt anybody else right it's just me privately doing this and I'm totally removed from what the women are treated like, um, what what their working conditions are like, the cultural narrative that women are objectified and that's okay. Um, I, don't re- I don't realize what, I, what I'm stealing from with my wife or what am I allowing spiritually into my home or whatever it is. I'm not aware of any of that. I just think it's a private thing. For Paul, sin never, never does not affect the community. In other words, it always spills over. And that's why we're very offended when Paul says, here's this really unrepentant public sinner, expel them from the community. Well, no, no, that totally makes sense in a collectivist mindset, right? Why? Because what happens to one part Happens to the whole thing, Mm -hmm. so so for us, we always think in terms of sin, in terms of my personal rightness or wrongness, whether I've listened to the demon, whether I've listened to the angel on my shoulder. No, 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 no. For the Bible, it is a much sin is a community thing. When I get drunk and have a DUI, that affects more than just my record right right there's something there's culturally something else there's spiritually something else that happens to the community where that takes place if there's a sexual assault it's not just the person who was the victim there's something else that that uh, happens right so 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 the reason paul is always exhorting his communities to take sin seriously is because in their mind leaven a little bit can infect a whole larger batch of something So that's why that matters. It makes total sense. But for us in an individualized society, no, no. As long as I'm choosing right more than I'm choosing wrong, I'm growing. Right? It's just an entirely Mm -hmm. different Mm -hmm. way of looking at the thing. All right? What were you going to say?
1: Oh, nothing. I was going to say because here personal growth is like the most important thing.
0: Right. And, and, And personal growth as an individual is, mm-hmm. is So right. all of my spiritual practices are me having quiet time, me having prayer time, me having silence and solitude time. Mm-hmm. And all those things are really powerful and good. I'm not denigrating them, but for us, that's all they are. Right. We don't see that the worship time as a community, as something that is a spiritual discipline. We don't see taking the Eucharist together as a community, as something that's a spiritual discipline. We mm-hmm. don't see why even showing up is anything other than just showing up. And our churches reinforce this, right? We totally reinforce that this is just a consumer item um, and we're just distributors of religious goods and services. So here's how entertaining we are. Here's how cool our our graphics are, our series are, whatever's are, right? And if you don't like it, I mean, there, there are other great churches for you and blah, 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 blah. Right, right. So it's crazy. All right, last one. Last American cultural value that is totally tied to... Well, I mean, think about all the other ones we could talk about. We can talk about self-reliance, right? In the Bible, self-reliance is a bad thing. You never want to be self-reliant because you never are, right? Okay. Self-reliant, no. Or or self-fulfillment. What the hell's that? Yeah. Self-fulfillment? No, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Don't follow your dreams. Mm. <laughs> mm. What the heck are you doing? Mm. Right? Or or leadership. Oh my goodness. In the Bible, leadership, leaders are to be servants. But I mean, we are just so—I mean, particularly in Christian culture—so enamored with powerful leaders and leadership principles and leadership laws and leadership maxims, and no one just walks around saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm a great follower." Like that's a bad thing, right? <laughs> right. I'm a great—I'm a great conformer. That's a bad thing. No, no. In the in the scriptures, oh my goodness, leaders are to be servants. Leaders are to be the ones who. Um, the the ones who are who get the dirtiest and who who sweat the most, you know what I'm saying? In in which case I I win. Um all right, how how long are we right now? Oh, we're at a, an hour 10. Oh,
1: good lord. Okay. All right, one more. This one's rich like a chocolate cake. <sighs> it keeps going and yeah, going and yeah.
0: going. Yeah. Yeah, and then okay. and then it and then it hit your stomach and uh, whatever well yeah that's still part of my metaphor oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're to the crap we're to the crap part right now all right one last one um and and this one is the natural the natural expression of individualism coupled with our fascination with self-esteem and that's the fact that american uh, american society really values narcissism and feeds it and rewards it, so what, and and um, and makes it something that you want. You want to be famous. You want to have a platform. You want to be. You want it to be about you. And it's so. It's not just individualism, but it's the exaltation of my individualism, mm-hmm. right? right? That's narcissism. Yeah. And that that you have to respect my individualism, however my individualism is expressed. So so narcissists, and, and here's how they define it, and it's brilliant we tend here's this great sentence we tend to read every scriptural promise every blessing as if it necessarily applies to each of us individually and forever we are confident that every biblical us includes me (laughs) right And, and so we'll sing I mean, just think about it. We'll sing that It's All About You, Jesus, which is one of the popular Christian songs. We'll sing It's All About You, Jesus, as long as it's at a time I like, in a building I like, with a community I like, with people I like, singing songs I like, with music I like, with a speaker I like. Right? Yeah. I mean, come on. Um, and and scholars about 10 years ago d- deemed this moral, um, moral therapeutic deism. that That is the predominant American religion. Moral, in the sense that we want to be better, we want to be better people. We want to be good people. It's therapeutic in the sense that it's supposed to help us be better people, um, and that help comes internally and psychologically and emotionally and mentally. And it's deism in the sense that we don't see really God as super involved, but he's a genius that kind of winded the whole thing up. And and I and I just I absolutely love it. I just like yes, and there's all this. I mean, I see it on my Twitter feed all day. Just go follow your dreams. God made only one of you, you know, go follow your dreams. God, find your God destiny, you know, and you're just like, oh, like some of that. Okay, sure. I mean, God, yeah, but (laughs) that's all we've got. I mean, it's just absolutely nuts. And so when you approach the Bible with the narcissistic individual moral therapeutic God in view, well, what are you going to look for? Well, what's yeah. my favorite verse? What's yeah. my favorite encouragement? If yeah. you're depressed, go to this passage. If you're worried, go to this passage. Mm-hmm. It's like like that's the point of the thing. No, it's not. So you get you get you get people quoting Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And and I just like I, I get it, and and okay, but think about who the you is there. All right. The you is Israel under God's discipline. <laughs> um God they've they they they've just suffered warfare many of them have been slaughtered they've been forcibly exiled they're refugees now in a foreign country God has just said to them I'm not going to speak to you for 70 years okay Be, this is this is exile this is punishment this is discipline but I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you and not harm you mm-hmm. well no one is sitting there when they're when if you're hearing this and you're in exile, thinking the the prospering and the not harming, um, that's not happening to us, right? We've been harmed. We're not prospering, we're in freaking exile. Who's the promise to? The promise is to 70 years from now. Like hmm. my purposes will still prevail. Israel will still be a thing, mm-hmm. right? And Israel will prosper. Yeah. There's a new covenant coming, there's a Messiah coming, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but no one would have heard that as a mm-hmm. promise that that's going to make you secure and safe in the world. Why? Yeah. Because it was given in precisely a scenario when they were not secure and safe in the world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, or think about when, when Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, Right. Like like God will never let anything bad to ha- happen to them, except that Jesus walked around in a marketplace where birds, some birds were considered sacrifices. You ate other birds, and he talks about the flowers of the field and the or, and the grass of the field, that and he says that are even here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire. We just we claim these promises as narcissists, and I'm as guilty as anybody else. And and, and the narcissism isn't just reflected in my claiming them, but it's claiming them for my blessing. It's claiming them as if I were the center of the story. It's claiming them as if these promises are mine because I'm the apple of God's eye. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure.
1: Go ahead. Well, I was going to give an example of how I've imported text into my own life as beneficial and how I'm clearly in everything we've said, how it, it completely tears down. All of it, okay. Right. Like what? So one of my favorite verses, oh yeah, has always been First Thessalonians four eleven, right? Which is which? Um, well, it, it, sexual it jumps... morality. <laughs> You're right on. Um, it, it kind of actually starts in with uh with uh, way at back at verse nine, but it's like verse nine starts at now about your love for one another. We do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, um, and in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters do uh, to do some more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we taught you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you may not depend on anybody. Okay. You could totally take that into individualism. Well, of course. And this is this is kind of what I feel like I've done. Yeah. But it's like the second I take in everything you've said and think about it being addressed to a group. Yep. So who's you know? the you?
0: Right. The you the
1: is, is the church. Correct. Right. So them depending on other and, bodies within and, other groups to support that and, body.
0: And why are you supposed to do it? To win the respect of outsiders, right? To to bring honor, right? To God, to right. not shame God. Right.
1: To me, I think work harder for myself, so I'm self dependent, so I don't need to Correct. get wisdom and other stuff from others, so I can be self sustainable in and individualistic. Yeah. He's talking about society.
0: Yes, he's talking about non Christian groups. Yeah. So I don't depend upon. He's talking about what Paul's saying there is trying to avoid having patrons whose allegiance you could be tempted to put ahead of Jesus's. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, and Paul even said, you know, Paul even says, I think it's in that same letter. I mean, the, here's the rule because there were lazy people who would just live off the church. And mm-hmm. Paul was like, no, 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 if you do not work, you shall not eat. That's the rule. Mm-hmm. But he was never, he wasn't saying that because these people needed the moral formation. He was saying that because it hurts the group. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean, it's, it's, it's an entirely different way. Now, the point of this, if you've made it this far, oh my goodness, bless you. Cause I have a headache from and all this time. <laughs> the, the point of this isn't for you to now not want to go to the scriptures. If you're a scripture kind of person, if you're a Bible kind of person, it's not to go and be like, Oh my goodness, I have to do all these gymnastics and I have to go learn Greek and I have to go, you know, get, get all these books. And I just, this, this beautiful, sweet time I have with Jesus in the morning where I read his word and I pray somehow that's not good enough or whatever. Please understand. I, To some degree, I'm just speaking hyperbolically because our culture is so the other way and our Jesus following is so individualized. Of course, time with Jesus is beautiful. And of course, picking up the Bible and just reading it is beautiful. I just... I. We started on a a train of thinking last week that was about context. So what's it look like to respect context? Well, there's humility with time. There's the realization that there's geography, that the customs and behaviors are different. The cultural priorities are different. The value systems are different. Um, And uh, what's the other one? The language is different. Mm -hmm. And, And yes, we have tons of help uh, tons of smart men and women who are translating and who are interpreting, who are writing books for us to dive into. I just, I think there should just be a humility. So, so for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, the encouragement isn't to just read the Bible, but it's to study it and if you're interested email me and i have lists of books that are great background books
1: mm-hmm. about a 1000 in this room yes, right now
0: yes <laughs> yes um i mean i don't i don't just make this stuff up i mean they, these are like i just spend a lot of time reading and you don't have to read to benefit but if you want there are like intro books that are phenomenal um that that open our eyes to the jewish context to the roman context the ancient near eastern context of all this stuff um if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're somebody who has all sorts of suspicions about the Bible, the goal of this time was to just say this is, it, it, have your suspicions, have your suspicions. But what you what you can't do, I mean, I guess you can, there's nothing stopping you, but what you can't do is is read the Bible as a 21st century American. And then critique it by 21st century American standards and say what an evil book this is, mm-hmm. because what it's trying to do is different in the culture in which it was written than how you're we're going to read it flatly as an American, you know. So in my case, a white American heterosexual male who values individualism, self-reliance, self-fulfillment, narcissism, right? It get guilt and innocence, avoiding a guilty conscience. I mean, I'm I'm going to import all those values into the text. And, um and so it affects my discipleship as a Jesus follower but it also affects my critique of the Bible as a non-jesus follower mm-hmm. uh because we're we're actually holding the Bible to things the Bible itself would never say it was trying to do so blah I'm done let's wrap it up put a fork in me <laughs> all right Andy do do the blessing let's see if you got it two weeks in a row go all right may the
1: Lord bless you and keep you
0: yep you got to say it you got to say it like right. Like say it pastor like a pastor. Would, yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So.
1: All right, friends. And if you're yes. an atheist out there, you, yes. can, you can turn this podcast off now. But for those of yes. you that are driving in your
0: car. Yes. That are working
1: out. Yes. Close your eyes. Close you're them. You're driving. Don't close them. Nope, Keep them open. <laughs> See, that's perfect. That's perfect. That was perfect. Oh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. There you go. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. Come on. And may he give you peace.
0: Yes. Thank mm. you, guys. Until next time.
1: Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Geary podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Geary. Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope at Mike Geary for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit subversivekingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.